Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, PJ shares his winding path from a JP Morgan internship during his time at Princeton to working on two desks during his five years at Morgan Stanley to making a pivot to equities at the hedge fund where he stayed for seven years. Listen to hear how he started all over again and where he is now. Enjoy. All right, PJ, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So it would be awesome if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Sure. Uh, been in the business now for quite some time. I graduated Princeton in 2008, studied operations research, financial engineering, so something that I thought would be good vocational training for finance. Uh, I spent five years at MS um, in their investment management business focused on fixed income. I did my CFA as I decided I wanted to get into equities. Uh, I worked seven years at a long-oriented but long-short event-driven or value with a catalyst hedge fund. Uh, Learned a lot there. Um, But at the end of my tenure, um, this was really coming up to COVID, wanted to get some experience in private markets. So I made a pretty big pivot into commercial real estate, private equity, Um, drank from the fire hose, did that for a year, Um, realized I really missed the public market game. I decided, though, that take a sort of an in-between step and became the CFO of a SPAC. Uh, I can't talk too much about the public company, but um, suffice to say, I uh, began self-publishing research and joined the firm I'm at now. Um, And I've been there now six and a half months. It's an industrial fund, or it's a long-short fund focused on changes in the uh, industrial economy. So that's, that's me. Really super fascinating uh, path here. So let's go let's go back all the way to Princeton when you were, let's say, sophomore, junior. Was financial engineering and operations kind of always on the radar? Or did you have family or friends that were in? The, I know Princeton's a, a pretty good feeder into Wall Street. So yeah, what did you have like alum that were telling you, yeah, come join? Um, you know, I think I chose the major based on both what I thought would be practicality in terms of next steps and also based on what I didn't think I was good at. So I wasn't really good at reading or writing. I hate to say I'm not good at reading and writing, but I, I think I'm probably better with numbers and wanted to learn to code and learn all about exotic uh, financial instruments. Um, so, you know, for me, I kind of knew going in, that was the major I wanted to do. I didn't necessarily know the skills I would pick up. And frankly, most of the skills I picked up kind of died with the financial crisis in some respects in terms of uh, credit derivatives, exotic derivatives. 
but certain things like coding and stuff have remained uh, pretty relevant throughout my career. So uh, I would say the key thing from Princeton was learning how to learn and not be uh, intimidated when you have to absorb new content, which is something you have to do along your career. And tell me about like, so freshman summer, sophomore summer, were you doing internships throughout the year or just only in the summers? What, what did those look like? So actually, um, I took summer courses first two years just to broaden my horizons, learn a little more. Um, I will say that people who get that internship in the sophomore year, I mean, that's that's beneficial. I mean, anytime you have more ammunition when you go out for full-time recruiting is a good thing. Uh, I did spend my summer internship uh, junior year working at JPM and their synthetic CDO structuring group, which uh, got restructured, I guess you would say after the financial crisis, but that was, that was just a good experience for going into a workplace and getting things done and working in kind of a high pressure situation. But uh, definitely, um, you know, the earlier you start thinking about things and networking and considering internships, uh, the better. Uh, and if you can do an internship during the year, whether it's because you're co-located, if you're in a school in a city or something, or you can maybe do it remote, it's definitely uh, something to consider. Are you from Jersey area or New York? I'm from Manhattan. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a pretty short trip to, uh, to yeah, Princeton. Not, that was not part too of the <laughs> Very cool. So you're kind of coming up, you, you're, you're studying a lot freshman summer. What, what type of extra courses were you doing? Um, it was different stuff in econ, different stuff in differential equations, math. It was just, uh, it was a okay. smattering of things that just kind of round out the skill set. Got it. A little linear algebra, maybe a little... Uh, Exactly. All that <laughs> matrix matrices. That's what all life is about. It's matrices. Yeah. <laughs> so then you're coming up, you know, you're seeing the world fall apart. Well, junior year, you said, you know, JP, you're a JP, right? Um, yep. And yep. you were doing, tell me about the internship a little bit. So you were on the, you said CDO credit derivative. Yeah. Synthetic CDO desk. So it was a CDO of CDSs. So I guess they were a little easier. So you're basically, that's like, the, that's literally the central, like, Central, like, what do you call it? Epicenter of the financial crisis was like that group. Yeah, I mean, I, or no? <laughs> yeah, no. Look, I, I, I haven't really contextualized it. I mean, yes, it is a, it's a more liquid instrument, but again, it was monoline insurance companies that were buying and selling these things, and mm -hmm. certainly, you know, I would put stuff in an Excel, and then they would tell me what the Moody's rating would be, and. You know, it's like, all right, well, we don't want BMW. Let's put in Mercedes or something like that in terms of different CDS. So, you know, I, I guess I was a I was a monkey at that time. Um, I guess now I'm just an older monkey, but uh, you know, it was get it in, get it out, and, and get the job done. So, yeah. um, that desk definitely shrank substantially. A lot of the people I knew from that desk went on to just do other things after. That's great. And so you you were there like in like I think oh seven, right? Summer oh seven. That's right, summer oh seven. So did you start seeing some of the cracks kind of like while you were there over the summer? Or is it like you were too you were too like your head down and just trying to get the return offer? You know, we weren't in the mortgage space. You know, I think credit derivatives, CDS were from what I remember, not too, you know, not not the market wasn't too shaken up uh in that regard. It was still pretty much the heyday of of that area mm -hmm. in terms of you know, JPM's making money trading and originating these types of securities. I'd have to go back to, you know, listen to some of their calls to see if they called it out. But we really didn't see a whole lot of a whole lot of messiness, or at least not in the time I was there. And how did you even land that? How did you even get in? So that was on campus recruiting. Mm -hmm. Um 
basically, I had taken a course um, talking about, we actually learned about synthetic CDOs and CDOs. And so uh, the fact that I knew some buzzwords and can talk about it a little bit late, uh, a little bit uh, made it sound interesting. Um, I had other offers. There was a chance I could have gone to the CIO office where the, the London Whale was, I guess. Well, he, he was in London, but there were different groups I had exposure to. And this one just kind of seemed that the people on the team kind of clicked and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, the nature of the work. It was a little bit more market hours oriented. Yeah. Uh, kind of made sense for me. And uh, yeah, it just had a little bit of background in the space that, I, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of a bump in terms of them wanting me to be in the group. Cool. So you get the offer for the internship, you take it, kind of you get through that summer. Are they saying, hey, come back? Or what, at that point, were they saying, oh, we don't know what's going to happen? Um, look, I think I, I I think I didn't I didn't have a tremendous interest in it. Um, I mm-hmm. think I didn't want to be a market facilitator. I was more interested in being an investor. Yeah. Um, they also did something it wasn't their fault, but basically my desk was not in their desk area. And so like for me, like this is just more inside baseball on me. Like I don't see amazingly well. So if I'm looking over someone's shoulder and looking at their screen, like I'm probably not really seeing what they're doing. And so it was just a little bit of an awkward situation. But look, broadly, I learned a bit, but I think at the end we kind of mutually said that look, this isn't the right home for me. And you know, they, some of them tried to help me look around JPM, but um yeah, I, I wouldn't blame it on the market. I just it wasn't a great fit at the time. So how did you kind of approach coming back to senior year? You didn't have an offer yet. Were you nervous about yeah. that? Were you thinking, oh man, like this is I thought I'd have offer in hand at this point. Um and then as you're probably in senior year, like the whole economy, like world economy is falling apart. What's going through your head? Yeah. So look, I I think for me and I think for other people, I was looking for the right fit, right? I wasn't looking, you know, I wanted to you know, your life or your career is a boat, wanted to position the boat in the right direction before the wind, you know, before you kind of put your head down and do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, look, I could control what I could control. I, I had good grades and I continue to get good grades. And for um, um, uh, in my department, yes, overall a little less than that, but you know, I, I made a lot of sacrifices. Flacker, um, three, three, flacker. Five, three, nine. <laughs> something in that range, something yeah. in that range. But, okay. uh, you know, I was, I felt decently confident that there'd be other companies coming back and they did to recruit full time. And that's, that's kind of where I got my gig. So what did they ask you about that? How did you like deal with the questions of like, why didn't, why aren't you going back to JP and like still make yourself like not look like, like, cause I know a lot of people, if they come back, they don't get the internship offer, which is probably going to happen a lot this summer. Like, how do you actually recover for that for full-time recruiting in a recession? Things very, very uh, relevant for for the graduates right now, the interns right now. Um, some of them will have offers rescinded with Credit Suisse. Some of them are going to just, you know, the offer rates are going to plummet. So it sounds like you were very confident, like you weren't that concerned going in. You think maybe yeah. that came across in the interviews? Like, what? Any advice for people listening on that? Well, well to level set, I was interviewing in fall of '07, where there were certainly cracks and, and different, you know, issues. Yeah. Um, yeah but not not full on, you know, collapse in the market. Uh, I think the fact that I want to do something else um, and I had skills to talk about and, and, and different interests to talk about, I think made it a lot easier. Yeah. If I didn't get the JPM job and I wanted to go to DB and do the same thing, 
I would have to explain why it didn't work out in JPM, which is you're going to say it's either an interpersonal issue, which is not great to share or. Yeah. So for me, it, it was just a chance to say, hey, look, I tried it. It didn't work out. I learned from the situation. I, you know, you refine more what you're interested in when you, when you're doing a job that you're interested in, you're going to, you know, the but effort, you, everything's going to flow, flow from that. So you, you ended up at, uh, so a couple of things I want to kind of tease apart here. You ended up at Morgan Stanley, right? Yes, yeah, that's right. How, how was that interview different or, you know, were there, were there any concerns on their end around like you not going back to JP? How did you deal with that? Or was it, was it like for a group within investment management where it was like, they were like, oh yeah, that's completely different. I think it was a little bit of the latter. Um, I, I was going into a risk analysis role, which was, I don't know, kind of a middle office role in, in retrospect, yeah. uh, where a lot of the knowledge I had was, you know, highly germane. And, and so they were happy to have someone who, you know, by their estimations, you know, had some talent and, and could be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it was just, the fact that it was just a different job. Um, you know, I also interviewed at like a PE firm and they seemed to not really, uh, as long as you had a story that made sense that, you know, you were looking to do something else, which was unequivocally the truth. And you had interesting things to to motivate why you wanted to do what they were doing. Right. I, I think in a lot of times people want to know what motivates your interest. Yeah. And so if you can explain that, um, that's helpful. How did you explain to them that you wanted to be on the investment side? What was your, what was, I know it's like many years ago, but <laughs> you know, what is that? Uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I made something up on the spot. No, I, I, yeah. I think, uh, look, I think being an investor is structurally different than being someone who uh, facilitates transactions. It probably also meant that I wasn't interested in being a banker at the time. But was that your uh, answer for the risk group? Something a lot about being more on the investing side, like in helping. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with the risk group, and you do have to tailor your answer to what it is that they do. So they don't just yeah. think, if, if I would have just said investment side, then they probably would have said, all right, he's going to be in our group for two years and he's going to try to move laterally within the firm, which I wound up doing. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, look, I think there was genuine interest in, you know, understanding sort of the risk parameters of fixed income portfolios, right? There's, yeah, tracking yeah. error, value at risk, all the stuff that I learned in school. I I thought it would be an interesting um, training ground and, and an opportunity to use some of the quantitative skills I had. So was obviously it? the was it was it um so so I joined one one person hired me yeah and I joined and I had a different boss who came from Countrywide. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that was a very tough situation for him. And by the time my my training was done, so you know, like every major bank, there was summer training, and then started in September. I mean, God knows the market did what it did, and um, things were chaotic. Uh, I couldn't quite put everything in context in terms of the types of securities we owned and whether or not they really belonged in the portfolios they were, and how secure were some of these structured instruments that maybe we owned. Um, so it was. Um, you know, we use this software called Yieldbook. You know, some people still use it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I learned a lot. Um, it was a small group, and it was a little isolated. And I think sometimes uh, when you, you think about risk management, honestly, the risk management is really done at the portfolio level. Mm. By the PM, risk management is just more like, all right, the funds have a board meeting. They want to see some stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a perfunctory operation, not in the slightest, but it 
it wasn't where the sausage was being made. It was more like, I don't know, giving commentary on how the sausage was being made without no, having so, all the information. So. Got it. Got it. So you felt like, so you're there for like, let's say it was kind of chaotic. That first year makes sense. And then what, a year in, 09, 2010, like you're thinking, hey, I, I want to transition internally. You mentioned you transitioned internally. What what were you aiming for and how did you make that internal transition? Because that can be one of the most difficult things politically to pull off, um, especially if it was middle office to front office. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't an operations role, but you're right. It, it wasn't um, really a, a, a portfolio or client-facing role. Yeah. Um, look, I think I've, Found, you know, my job was to look at portfolios across a number of different asset classes or sub asset classes within fixed income. I got to know some of the portfolio managers and, you know, I took them, I took one guy aside a couple of times. He was a Princeton grad, a bit older than me and shared with him, Hey, this is what I'm, you know, I'm really good at, you know, I can code. I'm, I'm interested in econometrics and looking at macro data and making sense of it all. And, you know, there was a need, um, Morgan Stanley at that time was consolidating uh, its operations, whether it be from Pennsylvania or even some people from London moved to New York uh, to really make New York kind of the, the epicenter that in London of, of what they were doing. Uh, and so there was a need. I was able to pitch myself as someone who has skills and someone who has a good track record there. And um, one day one boss talked to the other boss and then that kind of happened. So it, it's funny. I was thinking about it every day for about a year. And the other guy probably thought about it the three times that I talked to him, probably thought about it a little bit. And then he talked to my boss. I mean, it, it's it's just funny. And what what uh, group what group was that? So I joined the Global Fixed Income Group. I, yeah. I joined sort of government uh, currencies and rates um, investing. So our mandates could be uh, government bond portfolios, yeah. um, you know, different things like that. But that was an investing role, meaning you were like actually actively taking mm -hmm. taking directional bets, not market making or? That's right. Well, the yeah. team was. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. in fairness to me, I was doing more research supporting that. I was yep. gathering data, making, you know, books about our macro outlook. I was I was doing different things. I mean, it's a macro job. Um, you know, I wasn't directing trades or, you know, I wasn't how you, making... How do you even know how to do that a couple of years out of school? Like, get that, get that data? Like, are there are there data streams that they would be feeding you and like stuff, or would you have to go out and be like, Hey, I need this data stream. Like it's safe or it's just you know, Bloomberg. What, what were you like? What were your primary sources? And then how did you, mm -hmm. I assume once you had all the primary sources, you're able to kind of do your thing, but how did you even like pound? Well, the I mean, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, the first step for, for analysis, obviously you have to have good data mm -hmm. um, for macro data. For financial data, Bloomberg's great. For macro data, I would sooner use a data stream or a Haver, um, both of which it helps to be at a larger institution where they have licenses. It's not a big deal. Otherwise, you know, they're not cheap services. Yeah. Um, and certain things like Haver and DataStream can automatically update charts and do all that stuff. And, and the key is also how easy it is to find the different um, particular data series. And both programs have different sort of menu-driven ways of getting it. So yeah. that was the data. Um, you know, in terms of what I did with the data, uh, there was some stuff we did historically that I updated. So, you know, some firms, they just have legacy models that someone did 20 years ago and they yeah. want to see what it looks like now. Uh, and so I did that. And then some of it, they gave me some rope. So I would read different papers and see people produce different 
forecasting models for rates or economic activity. And I, you know, they gave me a MATLAB license and I tried to replicate it. And that's, so, you know, there's some client stuff. And then there was some stuff that they kind of said, Hey, you know, we kind of either, you know, we don't want to be bothered to talk to you or, uh, you know, special you projects, you know, special projects, special project, right. Uh, send me to the, uh, the, the basement room or something. <laughs> So you're there for a good five years. Um, tell me kind of as you're approaching kind of the end of your tenure there, what what was going through your head? What were you looking for in terms of like your next steps? Um, mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about pay, like the progression, obviously, from the risk to the uh, more support role and fixed income. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a nice bump there. But can you tell me a little bit more about the pro- progression and kind of what you were looking for um, in your next role? Sure, I could talk progression. Um, Actually, within the first two years of the analyst program, actually, my analyst program was done when I switched over pretty much mm-hmm. uh, at the associate level, you know, senior associate level, you're not really getting huge bumps in pay. Um, I think the biggest bump in pay I would have gotten would have been if I stuck around for VP. Mm-hmm. I think your salary could have, I don't know, ballpark at that time, gone up from maybe like a 120 to a 180. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's definitely a business where I think your comp accelerates uh, as you move up the ranks. It's not a, a linear thing in the slightest. And what about, uh, the, what about the bonus side? I assume for the, the risk, it was pretty minor. But then did it move up when you joined the fixed income? Like, would it become a higher percentage of your base? So I would say, actually, I think my first year, I got one of the highest bonuses across my class. And I think that was a function of performance. But I think that's because it was the analyst program where they're kind of like, you guys are all pretty much, yeah. right. You're all kind of doing it. I imagine if I stuck around, it probably would have been, uh, it, it probably would not have been as good in risk. But, you know, honestly, I don't, you know, I, the bonuses were 30, 40, 50% of my base. I, I, don't, I don't really remember. <laughs> kind of funny. I don't really remember my bonuses from back then. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, for, at the time being 23, 24, it was nice to bank some money. And, uh, yeah. But it, it wasn't, you know, no one was knocking it out of the park at that time. Yeah. It was a pretty rough time as well. So, um, for sure. So, yeah, I think just let's, let's go to the end of your time at Morgan, uh, Morgan Stanley, mm-hmm. just like hear a little bit about how like what where your brain was at what you were looking for next and then just that whole recruiting slash interview cycle um you, five years is a long time to be for your first job yeah five you know i had the benefit of trying two different places and i had two different roles within the firm and honestly i think optically it looks better to yeah. you know that i was there for five years and you got the chance to try two different things so you know anyone who's looking to consider doing a different role to the degree to which you have goodwill at the firm you're at Look to see if you can do it internally. It's not always easy. Like you said, Patrick, it can be a little messy with personalities. Yeah. And the situation I was dealing with, the person who took me in was a lot more senior than the other person who I was working for. Yeah. And there were reasons that I didn't telegraph it to the person I was working for. But in any case, look, I, I, as a practice, I think, you know, it's important to put your head down, work hard. But at some point, you, you want to take a step back and say, hey, is this the direction I want to go in? You know, are the skills that I'm building, can I monetize them? Will they'll be useful somewhere else? And what I was kind of finding at MS, which probably happens in a lot of large institutions, is that you build very certain skills that are relevant for that firm and that team in particular, but maybe not become as well-rounded or marketable somewhere else. Yeah. And 
you know, I talked to a few friends, read some books, and I was like, all right, this equity investing, special situation investing sounds pretty interesting. Let me do my CFA. Let me uh, let me learn some skills. Let me not pay a lot of money to go to business school, although that's a great way to reposition yourself for a new career. Mm-hmm. And let me see where it takes me. Um, and there there was no recruiting process for me, honestly. That's, that's the funny thing, right? And you come out of a good school and you're working at a good firm, but people like square pegs for square holes. I wasn't a square peg in a square hole. Um, and so I had to network a lot uh, through my, um, whether it be my high school, um, Princeton alum. You know, what I found, um, this is a point I want to make more broadly, is it's like a Venn diagram. It's the people who are in the space that you're interested in and then the people who care about you. And the Venn diagram, like where those two things intersect, isn't very big, but you kind of have to try to find those people. And mm-hmm. I would say if I were to pick one circle or the other, I'd pick the people who care more about you because they're more willing to make an intro. Someone could be, you know, if you don't, if you have a weak connection and you try to ask for a favor, it's just, they're just not going to be comfortable doing it. It's not to say you shouldn't ask, but yeah. sometimes that guy who you know, who's great family friend, he may know something. It's not who you know, it's who he may know. And then if he can convey that goodwill, that, that works out. So I networked. Um, ultimately, I found um, a firm that was willing to talk to me for, they gave me, you know, I said, look, I'm interested in this. Let me do a side project for you. Love to learn a little bit more about how this is so I can see if I actually really want to do it. And then you can see what I can do. And I did that. I put together a huge deck on a company called CompuWare. I think it split up at some point. Um, and then what was know, the I thesis? Finished. What was the so it was a huge deck? Let's be more specific. So like you're talking like 20 pages, 50 pages, 200. Like what? Yeah, what? It was, it, look, I'm not a. De- I wasn't a great deck creator. Um, I think I put it together as only 30 pages. And the uh-huh. thesis was about splitting up the company, and I really forget most of it. Honestly. Some of the parts but, more valuable. Yeah, exactly undervalued exactly. yeah yeah exactly um and so you know look i had no template for doing it so i kind of threw some stuff on the wall and i think and you know they gave me a second project and then at which point i asked one of the analysts hey how do you guys like to frame it and they kind of told me a much more concise memo format that i then kind of gave the data in but basically that recruiting process worked where i had done this one project hadn't heard from anybody for five months then actually the company decided, you know, then an activist investor got involved, the stock popped. And then lo and behold, the next day I heard from the PM saying, hey, let's talk some more. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny how that works. I should have listened to that guy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So how much um, did it pop? Like 30%? 15 in one day. And I think it continued to, to go from there. Um, right. But it, it was, it was nice to see. And, you know, that, that's the thing with equity markets. You can have really big moves. And if you, you pick a winner, it can really make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, versus what I was doing before, um, you know, smaller, smaller movements. But uh, it was about yeah. a six. It was about a six month away from when you pitched it to when it popped. And then yeah. as soon as it popped, the guy remembered somehow. Yeah. Yeah. He remembered. And, you know, or did you reach it. back out and you're like, hey, remember? <laughs> You know, I, I'll be candid with you. At the time that I didn't hear back from a while, I'm like, you know what? Let me table this. I, I kind of had a new boss who was actually a, a really great dude um, mm-hmm. at Morgan. That kind of, you know, I had a chance to be mentored by him and also help him get acquainted because he was a sell side guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I still had interest, but 
you know, I wasn't, I was annoyed that I didn't hear back, but you know, I, I didn't sweat it too, too much. I, I figured, well, if that didn't work out, let me find someone else and I'll pitch them a stock. Like I, that, that was my thought process. Um, you hadn't given up. It was just more like, well, that, that was the one place. Was there other places you sent that same pitch to that same deck? Uh, so actually, so once they did that, I went to see their investor day. Actually, I got to see them present how they do stuff. I got excited. The guy was excited. They had reached a billion dollars in AUM, give or take at the time. And the timing seemed like it would work. And then they said, all right, look at this other company, Natus Medical, ticker B-A-B-Y. I think it's still around. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got sort of the color from the analyst. This is how you present it. Yeah. Put it together. I gave it to them. And then again, I didn't hear for a little while. And that that was when I got a little like, all right, there are other people I know who are interested in med tech. I want to give them the pitch because frankly, all you gave me was a ticker and I did this work and yeah. someone else should be able to benefit from it. Um, but as it turned out, I think it was around Memorial Day weekend, literally right before I was going to take level one of the CFA or level two, I forget. I took level one in December. I did level two in June. I recommend people do that. Just, just get it out of the way. Yeah. If, if that's still how they give the exam. Um, and then I heard back and then it was like, met with them very quickly and it got hired. So, it, you know, that, that's a one person story. I mean, what's the deal is that sometimes, you know, people have ADD, they'll focus on it when they need to focus on it. And then you just, you just got to be ready. Yeah. Be so ready you weren't work. following up every three months or anything like that. Every six months, you weren't doing any of that. It was more like just, you know, they were excited about it, but then they would drop, drop it. And I've heard that this is, this is actually very common for the hedge funds space. It's so just, so sporadic the hiring when they hire when they you know they ghost people all the time so they get busy and markets move and they get distracted so when you were joining um this fund were you you were excited you said you, you yeah. liked the kind of the work they were doing it was yeah. what type of fund was it, it was like long long short or was it it was a long short fund but it was value with a catalyst focus on undervalued businesses, typically corporate actions, companies that are Got doing spinoffs, mergers, yep. uh, buybacks, changes in capital allocation. So there was an inherent bias towards finding companies with management teams we liked. Yeah. Um, the, the firm did have a short book. Um, it wasn't as extensive uh, or necessarily as focused on single names as the long, as the long book was. Fair. And um, then how was like what was the offer did you did you know right away yeah i'm definitely taking this job or was it a tough decision at all because you said you had a new boss at morgan stanley seemed like you were yeah I, th I think when they re-engaged me i got yeah. excited um yeah. to, to answer your other question i think i reached out maybe once six weeks or eight weeks after I, 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 yeah i wasn't i wasn't too too persistent i didn't want to be annoying i mean yeah uh, they knew you know they knew it turned out on there and they had an analyst they weren't happy with. And I guess things accelerated at some point. And so that became my opportunity as Got much it. as I'd like to think they liked me. I think that was uh, also part of the situation. They had a seat open up. <laughs> yeah. So look, the, yeah. the offer, look, the offer was kind of like, what do you get paid now? I gave him a straight answer for my base. And which was what, know, like one thirty at the time or something like that, or. Something. I was a senior associate. I was probably up for VP in the following year or so. I don't think I was making. I don't think I was making more than like a hundred, honestly. Okay. Okay. All right, but this this is a little while ago. So, yeah. You know, this is yeah, 2013. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
they kind of said, hey, look, we can't really give you a lot of visibility into how things will play out. But it was a little bit of a trust me story. And, you know, I actually had other mutual connections with this individual that I felt, hey, look, this is a chance to pivot. This is a chance to do something I'm actually more passionate about. Let me get the skills. Let me let me get going. And then the rest will take care of itself. And it has, right? Well, my, my time is up. Let's talk about let's talk about the past. I mean, because then you ended up there for six, seven, six, seven years. Yeah, seven yeah. years. So your first two cents, five years and seven years. I mean, really, that's very impressive. But so the second, your second stint at this at this uh, mostly long, uh, long fund uh, special sits, we'll call it. Um, you're there. You kind of you show up for day one. What's it like? What, are you drinking from a fire hose? Or who's any mentoring? Are they just like letting you? Or is it like, hey, here's a here's a desk and good luck? Or what's what's the kind of day-to-day like there? Well, uh, you know, look, I don't know if there are too many of these kinds of funds around anymore. It was a single manager shop focused on the value arena, which had a really tough decade, right? Yeah. Um, there were a couple of guys on top of me, seasoned analysts who'd been there a little longer. They had worked under a previous director of research who was a very talented guy, apparently. So I, I, I gravitate, you know, technically I could have worked with either analyst. I kind of gravitated towards one who I think is just his disposition was probably better to work with for, for my tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't work too closely with the PMs uh, early on. I, I just, it wasn't really their style. And, you know, different firms have different collaborative ways of doing things. I would yeah. say our firm was a little more, you know, go to your hole, kind of come up with something and bring it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were some things, you know, like, hey, build a model for this. And I kind of had to figure it out on my own. And maybe I was a little slow at the start. And they asked me what was going on. But uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of looked for a mentor. I kind of I found one and uh, I was able to kind of learn, you know, working with him on things and, you know, follow the chain of command. And eventually I would start presenting the guy I was kind of working with my new ideas. And then eventually I would start presenting ideas directly to the portfolio managers talking about that progression because that's you know over six almost seven years so like is it like year one you're fumbling around just trying to like find your way like how long did it take to get to each of those kind of stages that you just mentioned uh it's 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 a great question because i i feel like as a you know as a person who likes to do well um you're always hard on yourself as to how quickly you're going to get up to speed and yeah. Sometimes you just have to take that step back in six months and say, hey, look, what I know today, like craps on what I knew six months ago. And you just have to have some patience with yourself. Mm-hmm. In terms of the timeline, I mean, I think I think it probably took me a good two to three years to really speak their language, as they like to say. I, you know, I think whenever you're working with a um, portfolio manager, you got to give them ideas that resonate with how they see the world. And there have been books written on this, but you have to understand their schema, right? If you're you're meeting a lactose intolerant person, you shouldn't give them like a uh, extra cheese pizza. They're just it's not, they're not going to handle it. Well, they may not throw it at you, but uh, they, they're not going to handle it. Well, so, you, you know, I think learning their style, getting comfortable with how they like to see numbers presented, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's great if you do a three statement model, but if the firm doesn't really care about that and they're more interested in their own little dashboard, then you have to figure out how to do that. So I think learning stylistically all that, before having my own names probably took about two to three years. What was the hardest part of 
for you specifically to get up to speed? Like, was it that? Was it the stylistic kind of delivery, that type of stuff? Or was it more like knowing how to, knowing even where to look for the data streams or for the, you know, whatever type of stuff you guys would look at? Or just, or just have coming up with ideas, enough ideas or enough good ideas? I think, I think it was just getting enough at bats, kind of yeah. see this, this is what made sense. These are the things that didn't really work for them and kind of roll it up from there. I mean, I think I was already pitching new ideas to the person that was my mentor, maybe as soon as a year and a half to two years in. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was understanding their pattern recognition. And I think seeing a few things and realizing, hey, you know, management teams always do this and, you know, or, you know, if, if a management team is, you know, holding guidance, but they miss a quarter and they hold the rest of the year, well, they're probably doing something, you know, sometimes people like to drip out news slowly and that usually doesn't work out well for them at the end. So I, I think for me, I, I had a healthy, under, you know, respect for the fact that this job is about experience and I wanted to kind of take it step by step and, you know, you have credibility and you can't, you know, if you, if you, if you put your name behind an idea that thinks or you could be wrong, but your thought process at least has to make some sense. And if your thought process is just like, Hey, I just pulled this out of my, you know, where mm -hmm. credibility, you know, you're trusting, you're being trusted with people's money and the PM is not doing the same kind of work you're doing. So there's interdependence. So you got to build that trust. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about kind of, you know, obviously you made another move, right? Either before mm -hmm. COVID or like right before. Just around, yeah, just, just around COVID, you know, I think, um, look, it was a tough time for that type of strategy. Um, and I was 32, not married. And, you know, look, private equity was having a great decade. Commercial real estate was having a great decade. And it's like, all right, I want to build more skills. I, I was still valuing skill building over comp. I mean, obviously I wanted to get paid and, mm -hmm. you know, good years were decent and, you know, bad years, you know, whatever. I, you know, I still have my job. Yep. Um, so what was your I best watched, year at that fund? Would you say was it was all, all, in, all in comp or was yeah, it was like 2016, 17? Like, I think it was, uh, I think it was 17, 18, 17. Q4 of 18 was a disaster. I think for a lot of, for a lot of people, I think it was a very tough year. So yeah. Um, yeah. And best year was, you know, it's not, you know, what um, private jets are made of, but it was, uh, you know, I was able to put some money aside and it gave me that flexibility to then, take a shot at something a little different, kind of starting over a little bit. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, corporate private equity was interesting. A number of the companies we invested in had been bought out by PE. I will say the 30 seconds on that is that uh, PE shops, like most shops, they like the easy solution. I wasn't the easy solution, right? I had these skills. They saw me as being 32. He's probably expensive. He's not going to want to do this crappy work. And I was like, you know what? Like, I really want to I actually really want to see the deal process. I want to, you know, I can do the basic work and I, I believe in crawl, walk, run. But at the end of the day, you know, I'd done some work for this guy. I did a few things. And at the end of the day, he kind of was never really going to ever hire me, but wanted some free work. So you got, you, you got to be a little bit aware. Sometimes people may keep asking you for, for things to see your talents and you just have to know, you got to be just a little mindful. Sometimes people will take advantage of you. Now, is a private uh, equity fund like a partner in a small PE fund or something? It was, it was a, it was a fundless sponsor. This was a, a, a guy that was doing deal by deal. I was introduced yeah. him through a friend, not a bad guy. Just, I, I think the messaging across, you know, I, I think I probably wasted a little bit of time. 
Yeah. Uh, albeit I got to learn a lot by even working on some small projects. Yeah. Um, and then commercial real estate, just, I was also interested in real estate. And so commercial real estate, is a little more entrepreneurial, a little bit more of a hustle business. And so um, I managed to make inroads there and someone saw me and said, Hey, look, you can help us find distressed deals, right? We're, you know, it's, you know, we want to do rescue capital. We want to recapitalize deals, bring in preferred capital and save deals so they don't get foreclosed on. And well, you have these skills and you're willing to start at the bottom. Let's do it. And uh, for me, I said, all right, more chance to build skills, take a pay cut, but seems like an up and coming firm much, you know, much earlier in its life cycle. And so uh, I took it. Cool. And so like your pay cut was what, 50%? So you were making like, what, 250, 300 by the time you're leaving. And then you had to go back down to like 100K base or something at the new place. Is that accurate? I think I probably took a little less on the base and my all-in comp was definitely lower. Uh, yeah. I don't think I quite, you know, some of these firms are not quite sure how well they're going to perform. And um, it was a vertically integrated owner operator. So these guys had like a lot of, a big payroll and yeah. a lot of things. But yeah, I took, I took easily a 50 to, you know, 50 to 66% all-in comp. Cut. Cut. Yeah. Um, and so like, was it because like you feel like you had the it was kind of a tough few years at the hedge fund and you felt like it had run its course or was it and they were like kind of trying to show you the exit or was it more like you know what i'm not learning that much anymore and i'm just going to try something new like real estate's interesting like what how much was it of each or was it like a kind of a mix no they weren't really no they weren't showing me the door i mean i i think they would have been happy for me to stay there um you know yeah. if we had some good years we had some bad years and i always just put up with it, which is fine. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, I think it was a chance for me maybe to work with a different kind of collaborative team stylistically. I think I was looking for a little bit of a different uh, opportunity. Why not and, stay till like PM? Because like, you know, comp is like exponential at these hedge funds, right? Like, so why not try to- You got to you gotta know sometimes what's the end of the road at some of these places. You know, the yeah. firm I was at, there were only going to be two PMs. Um, no one else was named partner there. Like, there are certain things on the wall that you kind of have to see and say, Hey, look, um, I can maybe have, you know, an enjoyable existence, but maybe I will never get a specific level of carry or, or, yeah. or you know, all that. So, I, you know, they're good guys. Uh, it's just, it wasn't the makeup of the fund that you would necessarily become another PM. Certainly the other two people who worked there, they didn't have that opportunity yet either. And so if they weren't getting it, I, you know, I wasn't expecting to leapfrog anybody. So the people you know, who were there long, even longer than you, a decade. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. So that's why you kind of like, Hey, let's try something new. This is before you knew about the pandemic though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, look, I think, look, I like learning new things. I wanted yeah. to build another skill set. I had an opportunity just given the fact that I didn't have a lot of financial responsibilities. And yeah. I also yeah. knew from actually the, my attempts to get into PE that, if you don't do it by a certain age, you're never going to be able to do it. And so it was a unique opportunity. It was a very stressful opportunity, as we'll, we'll discuss. But uh, definitely... Um, so like you started in March 2020. Had stuff shut down yet? Had people Did people leave the office like before or after you started? So literally in between the time that I went to like have coffee with one of them to when the job started things shut down. I never met anybody I'd work with for six months. 
the one person who was on top of me um, was on maternity leave. So I didn't really get a chance to work with her until June, July. Uh, and actually, uh, because we're real estate, they were able to say that, hey, look, um, you guys are like a necessary operation. And so they actually had us come in starting July. So I was like the, uh, I was like one of five people on the six train going to work. So. Yeah. Oh it's crazy. So you were working in the office through COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really a drinking from the fire hose, right? I mean, when you think about transactions as a whole. Well, distressed legal. real estate in this yeah. market. So like you were in the idea, like, well, there was so much deal flow, right? Suddenly. You would have thought there would have been more. I mean, there was a lot of relief, a lot of banks and a lot of. True. You know, okay. So there was a lot of like, yeah, a lot of people getting bailed out. Exactly. Given yeah. breaks, timing, things like that. Yeah. You know, when they kind of dropped me in, they're just like, all right, just do whatever we need you to do. And so, I, you know, this was also a fundless sponsor. So the lifeblood, particularly in real estate, as I experienced it, was do the deal. Of course, it wants to be a good deal, but get that act fee, you know, acquisition fee, get, get paid a little bit. And then, you know, hopefully you'll have enough of these that when you start realizing or crystallizing profits in one, you'll be, you know, They've been staggered a little bit. So yeah. that's kind of how you build up the profitability. So it was a very high velocity place. Um, I was trying to get up to speed with purchase and sale agreements, oh reading God. leases, reading all this legal stuff. I have like a couple of legal books at home. It, it was a lot. It, it, it was uh, particularly coming from something where you have experience and you're competent in it to go into something where yeah. you're just uh, you're, you're talking crap to yourself about how you don't know what you need to know. And it, it was a lot. And it was not, it was a shop where it was like, all right, you don't know how to do this, figure it out. So. And so you did. We lasted, uh, you were there for a little over a year. Or a year. I was over there for over a year. Look, I, you know, it was a painful year and that's, that's no one's, you know, it's just how it was. Uh, mostly just because of transitioning careers like that as dramatically as I did, not easy. And, yeah. you know, eventually that pay aspect, does come up and you're like, hey, was my skill set really being valued here? Or the skills that I had, they weren't as germane to, to what I was doing. Um, but look, we I helped close our largest deal ever. I helped bring in one of our largest capital sources. So in retrospect, I got a lot done. And the people there, you know, still like me would would take me back, you know, you know, sort of casually offered if I ever wanted to come back. And uh that, you know, it wasn't you know, some good people there for sure. And uh, at least I have no regrets. I mean, I have, you know, maybe I wish I could have had a couple of years in the market making a little more money, but at least I'll never have to wonder what it would have been like to go into something like real estate. That's cool. So tell us kind of your your last two steps, I guess, is what I'm saying here on your LinkedIn. Yeah. So back CFO, like how, where is that coming from? <laughs> So that that was interesting. I know the SPACs were hot for for a minute there. Yeah, SPACs were hot. I mean, look, the way I looked at it, this was February of 21. I had a chance to work with five operating executives, guys who were C-suite guys, guys who, you know, really demonstrated talents in running companies and doing M&A at, at major companies in the transport and logistics space. And it basically, it was a chance for me to do a, kind of a private equity deal but also leverage some of my public market experience, right? Because you have to find a private company and do all the data room stuff and learn what you need to learn. Yeah. And then you got to pitch it to 
hype investors pitch it to equity investors as being a good transaction. Um, it seemed like a good call option. You know, the market was very hot. If you could do a few of those, you know, maybe you can make some good money being an investor in the sponsor. Um, yeah. Like I said, I thought it was a chance to work with some really interesting people and to be the CFO of a public company, albeit a shell company, I thought was somewhat cool at the time. So, so look, we, we went public. We raised $345 million. Um, definitely gained an appreciation for how much I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, transaction lawyers and M&A lawyers, it's a tough job. Yeah. A lot of respect for those people, but I'm, I'm glad, I, you know, if I come back in another life, I won't be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> Neither will I. <laughs> That's fair. Exactly. So, look, I did that for a year. Um, I think at some point, um, there was, a, you know, the executives were great. There were some other uh, elements involved where I just didn't feel comfortable that the risk reward was going to work for me. Yeah. And as much as I like to be a person that starts what he finishes, I just, there wasn't going to be a future in it, right? Fast forward to March of 22 and, you know, the market's taking an absolute diarrhea on these things and, and, and for, for good reason. Um, and being that I was a CFO and I was pretty much on every conversation talking to targets or talking to bankers, I got the pulse of where we were at and companies just, the SPAC was not the right most companies, it was an adverse selection. The companies that wanted to merge with the SPAC weren't the companies you wanted to, to merge with. Kind of yeah. like uh, they say with dating, the, the girls you get, you don't want, and the girls you want, you don't get. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that was your year of SPAC, we'll call it. Um, yeah, so then I had to be a little enterprising. I started, I started uh, I'm like, all right, really want to get back in the public equity game, want to work for a fund, but want to work for a different kind of fund. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the beauty of public markets? I can pitch you a stock and you want to see what I can do. I can do a write up, um, you know, and at first, at first I was like, all right, you got to have stock pitches for interview. Everyone knows that. But what happens if I pitch a stock or I do all this work on a stock and then it works out? How will anyone know that, you know, I can't be like, well, I was going to pitch you this stock and then it worked. The guy's like, I don't give a shit. Right. So or I don't give a crap. Uh, depends how politically correct he is. So I just thought someone said, hey, well, why don't you make a sub stack and make a blog and then publish your ideas there? And I'm like, you know what? This is kind of interesting because, A, it gave me something to do, right? Yeah. Because you can network, but you can't network 24-7. I mean, you yeah. can't be up people's you-know-what. You, you, so it yeah. gave me something where it's like, you know what? Let me build some models. Let me do a write-up. Let me make it look all nice. And then I'll publish it. And you know what? I'll promote it on Twitter. And... People, you know, someone wants to say, hey, look, show me some work you've done. Pitch me a stock. I could be like, hey, I could pitch it to you, but here's a link. You can read about it. You can see my model. And so that was actually, psychologically, it was good for me to, to give me something to get back in the game and something tangible to work on every day. Yeah. And it also saved me some case study time when, when I had some some offers. So. Yeah, you're like, yeah, let me, let me dig in. Let me update that model. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about like just how you how you approach. Well, we'll call it soon, but just tell me a little bit about how you approach just uh, when you're writing for your Substack and you're running. And do you want to pitch it here? Do you want to tell people where it is? If you still have it, do you still publish stuff? Or uh, yeah, we can. I'll send you the link. You can post it in the YouTube. Um, yeah, it's not under yeah. not under a pseudonym, so everyone will know exactly who I am. But it's okay. fine. I'd rather people see it. I even got on someone's podcast to talk about the idea. Shout out to Andrew Walker. Who, uh, oh, I know Andrew. Yeah, we've talked about it. Getting other value uh, 
blog, podcast, good stuff. Very good guy. Um, and he was willing thing to... Is that just another value? What was it called again? Yeah. Just another value stock or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yet another value blog. Yet another, yet, yet another value. Thank you. Yet another value stock. I know I was saying it wrong. Um, yeah, Andrew Walker. So, uh, he's great. And so, so yes, not... you got in his podcast. Yeah, we talked Brunswick. We talked um, Spectrum Brands. You know, look, some, you know, uh, today couple of the ideas worked. Spectrum brands hadn't really worked because the deal they were doing with Asa Abloy hit a snag with antitrust and kind of went into some black hole and it's, 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 it's recovering. And if they can close the deal, it's a, it's a good, it's a good story based on what I outlined, I'm not advocating buying or selling any stocks, by the way. Yeah. Uh, full full advice. Just-, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just, just talking about what I did, but yeah. 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 I mean, basically I use some of the skills I had to find stocks in the past. You know, I'd look at stocks, maybe trading near their 52 week lows, maybe stocks that were some insider buying, maybe some that had interesting comments in the transcript where, Hey, look, we think our business is worth more than the sum of the parts. And that's why we're selling it. Mm. There's actually a lot of some of the stuff I used to think about it. That was kind of what went into it. Yeah. And you have to be creative. Um, there's a, there was a website called Doco, D-O-C-O-H. It's changed names, but it was actually a website where you could word search through transcripts, absolutely free. Um, there was Finviz, F-I-N-V-I-Z.com. Yeah. Great yeah. screener, free, right? Yeah. Um, there were a few others, T-I-K-R, ticker. Again, not advocating any of these services, but that gave you consensus data. You could pay 20 bucks a month to get it. Um, there was also one more that's escaping me. Um, but yeah, and there actually are a number of inexpensive data sources out there that you, you can use together enough to be able to put something, uh, somewhat, somewhat, uh, comprehensive and legitimate. Coifin, K-O-Y-F-I-N. That's another popular one that actually also has a transcript, uh, search them. tool. Yeah. So, well, K-O-Y. just... Just because you don't have a Bloomberg or a Cap IQ, and by the way, they had a Cap IQ in the public library, just because you know you got to be resourceful, and so you know just because you don't necessarily have all the data today, there are different ways of getting information that you can try to piece together things. Cool. One last question. Sure. You kind of have a quantitative engineering background. Ever thought of doing kind of, you know, Jane Street or? Uh... Renaissance type role, or ever have you ever tried to apply to those, or do you, you so, see value? So Jane Street recruited on campus. I can go for that. Um, I did an interview at a large quant fund in in Greenwich. Who um, mm-hmm. was an outspoken uh, founder, and uh, it, it just it it just didn't really go anywhere. Um, and look, I found quant investing really interesting. I used to back test things and, and do work like that. That's kind of why I went for that interview. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm happy with what I do now. It's a nice mix of qualitative and quantitative. Um, you know, the market is about psychology. Yes, it's about the numbers. It's about expectations. It's also about what are the secular trends? What are the what are the things that are going to get people to re-rate the business? And so I yeah. kind of like the qualitative and quantitative mix of, of, of being a, a regular way equity investor. That's great. Any final words, any last words of wisdom, kind of looking back at your career so far and for the younger listeners out there, any, any final words? Uh, look, I, I think, I think progressing your career, I, I wouldn't say I cracked the code. I haven't, but I think it's important to have times where you put your head down and really try to 
extract as much as you can from what you're doing, both for yourself and for the for the employer. You know, because if you know one thing, one of the heads up that Morgan Stanley said is, no one's going to manage your career but yourself. So you you, you got to make sure that you know periodically you kind of poke your head up and say, hey, look, am I going down the right path? And if you're not, you might freak out for a minute, but then get out there and talk to people, ask questions. And I also found that when I networked, sometimes I'd have an idea of what I want, the, what I was expecting the person to say. And sometimes they'd say the opposite and it would be a little disconcerting. It's like, well, no, you'll never make it in that field or why are you looking to do that or something maybe not as dramatic as that. And you take it with a grain of salt. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone can only speak from their own experiences. And so sometimes it's those things that you get in a meeting that um, you you let you let the burn soothe. And then uh, you, you kind of like one thing I went I went for an interview. I used to wear a little cologne sometimes, you know, make it make it nice. And the guys, the guys like knock off the cologne like it's, it's knock off the cologne. It's salesy. I wasn't wearing it was a nice cologne. I wasn't overpowering, but he's like, it's salesy. And I'm like, all right. I guess I, I I won't I won't do that anymore and I didn't and you know I've saved a lot of money not having to work alone to work <laughs> no one ever complained about it before or after but you know it just you know I, I think the title of this episode should be knock off the cologne exactly exactly <laughs> exactly well like everything everyone has their own uh, idiosyncratic uh, things but at the end of the day look gather information think about things don't be afraid to take risks um, and you know, event, you know, and the last thing I'll say is as much as comp is important, working with the right people is is neck and neck. Cause if you're working with the wrong person, you're always gonna feel on edge. You're always gonna feel like an on-call doctor that if he emails you and you don't email him back in five minutes because you're in the bathroom, that he's gonna like lose his loses yeah. whatever. Yeah. You gotta work with good people where you feel like there is a chance that, you know, you would wanna be more like them as you get more senior. And um yeah, I think if 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 tracking the right team maybe early on in your career is kind of a hit or miss, but when you have the chance to kind of determine what groups, what people you want to work with, pick pick the good people and pick people who you think have potential to grow. Because it's always easier to grow behind someone who themselves is growing. So yeah. that's that's great advice. Yeah, I think I think doing that research up front, especially on those big transitions, like you mentioned, like when you were transitioning internally, it kind of lo optically it looks good because you didn't really make, it doesn't look like you made a transition, even though you got kind of two experiences kind of along those lines. When you do make that reset and decide to jump to a different firm, make sure you're doing a lot of that kind of uh, that research yourself. Don't just jump to something because it's quote private equity or anything because a fund could be imploding like the one I went to and lost my job within four months. So like, yeah, you just do your research, do your diligence kind of before making those big jumps. Cause it can, it can kind of set you back if you, if you make the wrong move. And if I may say two last things to that, I mean, first, if you make a jump and then you realize that what you jumped to is worse than what you had, it's going to be demoralizing. Mm -hmm. And B, when you meet with the people who are interviewing you, take note of how they ask questions, how they do things. If you get a quirky sense about somebody, just be careful because people, you know, your first impression, I wouldn't say is always right. But when I look back at some of the people and some of the quirks I saw, they turned out to really be reflective of some personalities. And that's, it's not a slight on anybody, but it's just to say, if it, if you get the sense that someone's personality and how they communicate doesn't really vibe with how you communicate, just be aware that that may 
pose an issue or may just pose a challenge that, that you'll have to deal with. Yeah, I love that. Let's end there. PJ, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Patrick. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.